As we start, would you join me in prayer, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you give us this opportunity to serve this town, that we might show Jesus Christ's love, his concern, and his care in each of these projects. So thanks uh, that you allow us to do that. Open our hearts for the message today that we can hear from you. Pray in Christ's name. Amen. And again, this week, we're, we're actually pulling the string on everything that we've talked about up to this point. Up to this point, we've talked about the Bible. We've looked at uh, scientific evidence, archaeological evidence, historical evidence, uh, and internal evidence of prophecy inside the Bible to prove that the Bible is an inspired word from God. But we can't stop there. It doesn't serve us, the community or Christ, well to just know and not do. So today is about obedience, is obeying God when he tells us to do something. And so uh, I'm, we're going to show a short video, very short, about a, a situation where pure obedience was needed. Michael J., the comedian, is going to present his concern uh, for a biblical character. So let's watch him. Uh, obedience, <laughs> straightforward obedience. Uh, is it okay to ask questions? We may get to that later. Uh, but as we go into this, the, the important thing that we continue to push forward on is the importance and the certainty of the Bible. It is a literally a gift to us. We, the first week when we introduced the series, we talked about a voice from another reality speaking to us. A, a voice beyond our time-space continuum, bound by natural laws here on this world. We were, talk, we're talking about a voice that is supernatural, that tells the future consistently to prove that he is supernatural off our timeline. He tells us how we can live. He inspires the Bible, which we've said several times. He breathes through. God breathes through his prophets, his spokesmen, to give us exactly what he wants us to have. Uh, and the Bible is useful to teach us what's true. God's word, this is true. And, and this, is, this is what's wrong in our life. This is good. It corrects us when we're wrong, teaches us to do what is right. God uses the Bible to prepare and equip me and you for every good work. He prepares us. He gives us the, the, literally the instructions, the guidelines, the understanding of how to live life here on earth. So he does that, and, and his word never changes. The essence of his word is truth. And all God's regulations, they stand forever. We live, most of us know, we live in an age where reason and, and rational thought has not been taught for 30 to 40 years in our school system. The students have been encouraged over the last 40, 50 years is to develop their own personal truth, their own values, how they see things, how they think they should respond. It's personal truth. And so my truth is my truth, yours is yours. And I can't tell you, you can't tell me. God cuts across all that and says, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what's true. Uh, it's not personal truth. It's, it's unchangeable, objective truth that stands forever. So today we're, we're taking God's Word that's inspired, that's inerrant, without error, it's totally holy, and we're showing that it's applicable. It's, it can be 
suitable to be applied to our lives. Applied to put practical use or applying principles to solve definite problems. The Bible is designed to give us specific guidelines to solve definite problems inside of our lives. Specific problems. We're to take the Bible and use it. It doesn't do any good just collecting dust because it'll tell us what's right, what's wrong inside of our lives. Today is about the challenge of the Bible series because we so far it's been easy sailing because it's required nothing of us. We're to give mental assent or what we would call faith is when we put actually our mental assent into action. But up to now, we've, we've been kind of standing back gathering data. Today, it's the challenge to actually do what God tells us to do inside of our lives. And as we start, one of the things that we're going to emphasize during this whole message, and actually many messages, is that there's a difference between hearing and obeying there's, there's two totally separate things. Uh, again, let's look at uh, the United States today. Let's look at Ridgecrest today. And, and let's talk about what God wants us to do. He, he, he doesn't want us just to call Him Lord, Lord. To call Him God, call Him Jesus, all of that other things. But He wants us to do what He says. He wants us to commit our lives to the teaching and apply Him to our lives. We can be sure that that we know God, that we know Jesus, we can be sure that we are, and you're going to hear this term, a biblical Christian if we obey God's commands. If someone claims, I know God, and doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is an unbiblical Christian. You cannot be a biblical Christian and not obey God. This is and actually the dividing line that we're establishing today. Uh, but those who obey God's word show truly uh, how completely they love him, we know we're living in Him because we want to live like Christ. Now, I put these statistics up all the time because they're important, at least to, as we look at our world today. I said earlier that for 40 years, we've drifted as a nation. We've drifted from absolute truth. We've drifted from obedience. We've drifted from rational, logical thought. And we see this here. These are, these are not people on the street these are people who consider themselves biblical Christians. These are people who attend church regularly. They're also people, for the most part in the, in the studies, that, that are in service inside of their church. Now, of the people that are in that category, 10%, 10 only 10% have a biblical Worldview. They see the world through the Bible. We've been encouraging that this whole series. Should be 100%. So we've got a biblical Christian that sees the world 100%. We've got an unbiblical Christian that, that categorizes themselves. There's only 10, that's 10, only 10%. Uh, so again, it keeps going highest priority, 14%. Biblical Christians, 100%. Totally committed, and it's what we're talking about today, investing in spiritual, only 18%. Only 18%. And again, that defines an unbiblical Christian. A biblical Christian, it's 100%. This is what I want to do. I want to change. I want to grow. I want to mature. How could I not in, in, in my life? Uh, put quite simply, the test that separates biblical Christians from someone who's just calling themselves a Christian is obedience. 
do we actually do what God tells us to do? It's the test of obedience. Do we have the right worldview? Uh, do we let the Bible define what's true and false for us? These percentages, again, show the majority of people that call themselves Christians aren't. And, and so in, in my reading yesterday, and in the morning I get up, and one of the first things I'll do is I'll, I'll pull out some books. I'll read the Bible. I'll read different books. And, and one of the books that I've read for like 25 years is, is a book called uh, My Utmost for His Highest, written by a man named Oswald Chambers. I think, in my opinion, it's the most powerful devotional book on God's principles that's ever been written. That's just my opinion. Uh, but I've read it for 25 years, and so and I learn something every time. But I was reading it July 27th, getting ready for this. And uh, here's what he says. He says, the golden rule for understanding spirituality is not intellect, but obedience. It's application. If a man wants scientific knowledge, intellectual curiosity is his guide. But if he wants insight into what Jesus teaches, he can only get it by obeying, by obedience. We only understand God's principles when they come alive in us and we actually do them. Uh, if things are dark to me, then I may be sure that there's something I will not do. Once we start shutting down from obedience, we start to get fuzzy. We start to get dark in our minds and our, in our thoughts. Intellectual darkness comes through ignorance. Spiritual darkness comes because of something I do not intend to obey. No man ever receives a word from God without instantly being put to a test over it. That's a simple comment. What that means is when I read the Bible, every time I read a command to do something or to not to do something, encourages me in this way or that way or defines the truth, and I disagree, there's a test. There's a test of what I'm going to believe and what I'm going to do. Receives the word. Uh, instantly, he's put to the test. If we disobey, then we'll wonder why we don't go on spiritually. So many people in, in our country, in, in, in crossroads and in town, we wonder why we're not growing and maturing. There's something that's coming to our life, and we said no. We said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to obey in this specific area. I'm not going to take this truth and apply it to my life. And when that happens, we say, God, take a step back. And our spiritual growth stops right then uh, because we're now disobedient in those areas. I encourage you, by the way, you, that My Utmost for His Highest, it's on our church app. They have them online. You can get them on your phone. You can get them on your computer. It's an interesting reading, very powerful stuff as we go forward. But we're clearly told in each of these things, that God expects us to obey. We're, we've said several times in this series, we are clearly without doubt told to read the Bible regularly, daily really, and to pray and to connect with God daily. We're told to do that. The question of obedience is, are we doing that? Is this part of our life? It kind of defines that biblical, unbiblical Christian it's, it's a very straightforward thing. Do we do that? Now, God's got some other commands. Clear. He says, forgive other people. If we're packing heat against somebody, we're disobeying God. We have failed the test of obedience. We failed the test of biblical Christianity in that specific area. And we'll continue until we repent from that disobedience 
and obey. Because our spiritual growth comes to a screeching halt when we start saying no to God. Not that area, not that thing. I'm not doing that. It comes to that place. So God says obedience. Now, why does God want us to obey? Why does he, why is he so, I don't like the word, but it is true. Why is he so rigid and demanding? Because it's the best for us. You know, we feel, too many people in our country, excuse me, too many people in our country when stopped on the street and we ask them, what's God's role in this world? What's God's role in your life? The answer, again, they feel that God's here to make them happy. Woo-hoo. Well, leave out woo-hoo. But they feel that God is to bring happiness to our No, it's not. It's absolutely to bring holiness to our life. To bring holy living, obedient, pure living, according to God's Word. He wants us very clearly to be holy. Uh, the Bible will, will tell us that many times uh, that's God's goal, to make us holy. Don't be misled. You can't mock the justice of God. Now, what is that all about? If we please the Spirit, we harvest from the Spirit. If, if we don't, we'll get it from the flesh. Everything we do must be holy. And, and again, here's, here's the verse. Don't be misled. Cannot mock God's justice. Now, what's, why does God do that? What makes you happy? There's the question. Does being holy make you happy or being unholy? What's, what, what's the upside to following God and seeking holiness? What happens inside of our lives? A test. God gives us a very practical daily exercise that we can find out where we are. It's called fruit of the Spirit or fruit of the flesh. Because if we follow the fruit of the flesh, if we follow our desires, here's what happens. Here's some things in our life. We, immorality in, in what we watch and listen to, impurity, pleasures, idolatry. We start worshiping things of this world, money and such as that. Now, but here's the personal effect in relationships. Now, this is an inventory for us as we go through. If, if we're following our flesh, we're not obeying God, our relationships will have Hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambitions, dissension, divisions. Certainly sounds like the Congress, doesn't it? But the, sorry. But when we turn from God, this is the fruit that grows inside of our lives. Now, when we follow God on the other side, the Spirit of God and the Holy Spirit lives in us. The manifestations of being holy is love, unselfish, sacrificial love, love, joy, peace in our hearts, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. These are the fruit. This is what happens when we follow God. When we obey God, these manifest themselves. Now, the question is, is very simply put, which do you want to be? On the left, unholy, non-biblical Christian. On the right, a biblical Christian seeking holiness. We never, again, uh, never misunderstand me that we don't sin, that we don't fail, that we don't fall short. But this is what we're striving for. We know that holiness truly brings us to a place of, if you will, happiness. Not only for us, but for those around us. 
Often this is a, a litmus test that I, that I encourage people in, in counseling to read. And I say, read, the, read the, 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 two, the fruit of the flesh and fruit of the Spirit. And I say, what describes your life? And it's, it's kind of a wake-up moment. It's really a wake-up moment for each of us as we look at our lives and our relationships to see what fruit we're bearing. Because the Bible's clear. Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruit. Let me say that again. You'll know them by their fruit. So what is happening inside of our lives? So how do we apply God's holiness to our lives? How do we gain God's holiness? He gives us, this is a three-step process. But look who it applies to, to begin with. Since you've heard about Jesus, and you've learned the truth that comes from him, so you, we're Christians, we're biblical Christians, we know the truth that comes from him. So once we know that, very simple, step one, we know that, throw off our sinful nature. Anything that doesn't match holiness or God's word or something he tells us to do or not do, then we do it. We throw off that old life that's there. Uh, and, and then it goes forward, and the rest of it, it says, and then the second step is renew your mind. Renew the way you think. And the third thing is put on Jesus Christ in each area of our life. Three steps. Here's the first one, uh, pulling that part out of the verse. Throw off your old sinful nature, your former way. And we know what that is, by the way. And, and, and it says, how do we find out? Well, we, we ask God to search our heart, to test us, to know our thoughts. We, we do that. And then we read the Bible. God's Word is living and active. Read it, reading the Bible, a lot of people don't read the Bible because they know what's in it. And they know it'll correct and changes and challenges as we go forward. So as we, as this is your old sin, how do you know? Ask God. Show me the junk. Read the Bible and it'll show us. I'll give you another way of knowing where we need to grow and mature. Look for pain. Look for personal emotional pain and lack of balance, anger, depression, all of those. That's pain. Look at pain in your relationships. Look at pain in your finances. Look at pain in areas of your life. That's an indication that something's running amok. You know, and you're hitting your thumb with the hammer. The suggestion is the pain should tell you to stop. I mean, just that's a quick analysis from a real deep research by a Marine. Stop hitting your thumb. But once we know what we're not supposed to do, and here's the challenging part. It isn't immediately to stop doing those bad things. It's to renew our mind. God doesn't say, first thing, start applying things to your life. He turns around and he says, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Let God change the way we think. We do that by reading the Bible. We do that through prayer. Because why do we need to do that? Because you and I, in 2019, live in the golden age of self-exoneration. We justify, rationalize, and blame other people for our bad behavior. No one comes into marriage counseling to fix themselves. They come in to fix the other person. Because they've determined that that person is wrong. Uh, every man's way is right in his own eyes. We see our way. Again, and this is just natural. 
if we thought there was something wrong, we'd change it and be right. But God weighs the heart. The human heart is more deceitful. We have an unlimited capacity to justify sin inside of our lives. We, we live in a culture where very, very quickly uh, we can justify anything. <laughs> you know, that's the blaming other people. We, we live in this blame shift society where it's someone else's fault. You see, in the term, and you'll know it, we're really victims. I, I, I love the expression that I learned years ago. My dities are on too tight. Freud will tell us that. Maslow today will tell you that. Rogers will tell you that. Dr. Phil will tell you that. It's not your fault. Someone else has done this to you. You've been abused in some way. So you are justified and you have no blame for acting out the way you are. You can do what you want to do because you're a victim inside of this culture. You know, Christians, uh, the truth is that, that Christ has set us free. I can't blame anyone else, and neither can you, for my decisions and failures. No one can make me or you mad, sad, bad, or sinful. I'm set free in Christ. I choose. God gives me the ability because he set me free. So the second thing is to get in our mind that we are responsible. We are the ones who, who are making these decisions and suffering the consequences from them. The third thing is, once we know what to take off, once we get rid of our self-justification and, and all this, that it's okay and we're ready to get to work, well, then we repent. Repent means to turn and go the other way. It was the first words John the Baptist spoke, the first words Jesus spoke, and the first words that Paul spoke on the day of Pentecost was, Repent. Stop. Turn, go the other way when something is pointed out to us. And in, in this repentance is putting on the new nature. This is one of the most important counseling verses in the Bible. It comes from the book of Genesis right up front. God kind of tells us the deal. Cain, uh, who had offered a sacrifice to God and it was rejected because of his attitude, he got torqued. He got upset because he didn't do what God told him to do. He didn't apply God's plan. So God comes to Cain and says, hey, Cain, yo. I don't think he said yo. But why do you look so dejected? Why are you so down? Why are you upset? Why are you emotionally on a roller coaster up and down? He says, why is that? You'll be accepted. You'll be okay if you do what is right. Get this? Do what is right. Put on the correct behavior. And here's the warning. If we refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door. And he wants to control you and master you. If we don't do what is right, we let Satan in. We let evil forces come in and they take over and we do what's wrong. It's very simple. There's a verse in the New Testament that says, don't let the sun go down on your anger and give the devil an opportunity. If we let the sun go down on, the, on our anger, we're inviting Satan into our lives. He can walk up and down the halls of our relationship. He can maintain and control our mind if we don't forgive. If Many of these things, if we let lust in, lust controls us. If we watch shows, we shouldn't watch. If we gossip, we shouldn't gossip. The whole gamut of things. 
When we do that, we're letting the bad guy in. And he'll control our mind. Then we'll have to fight and subdue him. Very straightforward. It's the, first off, identifying what's wrong through prayer and scripture study or pain inside of our lives. And then changing our mind to know we're the one that has to take action. We can't blame anyone else. We renew our minds. And then the third thing is we choose to do the right thing. We put off, think differently, and put on. Uh, I put on inside of your outline and on your uh, app and your phone for today a, a website that will give you like three or four hundred put-offs and put-ons. And you can go through with all the verses that go with it. But once you do that, how do you specifically apply the Bible? One of the things that about 90% of the people miss who claim to follow Jesus... Uh, and don't really follow him, is we, we, we are not a biblical Christian. The first thing to follow Christ is to be a biblical Christian. How do we become a biblical Christian? It's simple. We die. We die. We die to our whole life. We are crucified with Christ out of love for the God that died for us. We lay our lives down. I've been crucified with Christ. No longer I who lived. We let Christ live in us and through us. Christ lives through us if we lay ourselves down. You've got to lay yourself down. It's not a dual occupancy deal. We are not duplexes. We are single family residences. It's either God, right, or Satan. It, we choose. So we have to die. And Jesus said, if you want to be my follower... You have to basically take up your cross, die, and follow me. If we try to hang on to an area of our life, if you've got an area or I've got an area of my life that I'm guarding and I'm saying, okay, God, I'm, I'm following you, except for, except for, then we're not following Christ. We've already set up that, that process of disobedience, asking Satan, and that we heard described earlier. So it's, it's very straightforward. The first step to follow Christ is to be a biblical Christian. The next thing is don't compromise with sin and Satan. God is so clear on this. We can't live in two worlds. He, he uses the term adulterer because that's really spiritual, uh, re, you know, being part of the bride of Christ and sinning. He says that's adultery. That's spiritual adultery. If we want to have friendship with the world, we'll be an enemy of God. You know, that's really what it says. You think the Scripture has no meaning? When they say God is passionate about the spirit he's placed in us, he wants us to be 100% faithful to him. He gives grace generously. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble ourselves, obey God, and it says resist the devil. Say no to that little turkey that's whispering in this ear that it's okay. He's lying. A little insight to Satan. He lies. Okay? He lies. When he says something's okay, he's, he's just lying to you. So no compromise. The road is narrow. And few are those that find Christianity. Today, we talk about it all the time, somewhere around 3% of the general population are biblical Christians. 2% under 20 or excuse me, under 30 and 1%, and going down under 20. Very few. 
biblical Christians. Very narrow way. If we're on a broad way with a bunch of people going our way, you might want to ask some questions. The next thing, become a Christian. You know, you know, seek the narrow way and then spend time with Christ. We did this last week, so we won't spend a lot of time. Very simply, if you remain in Christ, and this is with Him personally in a connected relationship with quality time, then we'll remain in, in Christ and His words remain in us. We, we pray, we connect, we care, we speak to Him, but more importantly, we listen to what God's telling us. We listen. And again, that, to listen, we have to do this. Every time I'm out of order in a meeting, Dion comes up to me and goes, Shut up, Bill. Listen, be quiet and listen to God. You know, get rid of the evil behavior, the hypocrisy, the jealousy. Like newborn babes, crave. We talked about this last week. Crave the milk of the word. Again, like a baby. I, I, I said I would not make the sound. That's a baby going for the bottle. And that's what we should be on the Bible. You know, if you get up before your mate, they should hear you. <laughs> no, just kidding. We're going on. Uh, connect with Christ. Be part of what he's doing. You know, make no mistake. Uh, at, when, when we have this junk inside of our lives, you know, we live in an area uh, where we have a desire to sin. Honestly, facing our junk, hurts, pride, and self-image is what we have to do. When we're disciplined, though, it hurts us. Discipline hurts. And because God loves us, He disciplines us. He corrects us inside of our life. We're God's masterpiece. We're created in Christ Jesus so we can do good works. But the Lord disciplines those who He loves. And just very important, God's discipline is always good for us that we might share in His holiness. But... No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. I used to, that was one of my favorite verses when I had kids in the house. It's not supposed to be fun. Discipline's supposed to hurt. Does that hurt enough? A little sick, huh? But that's the case. Discipline has to hurt. And, and we're in discipline when we're out of sorts, when there's relational conflict, all these things. Discipline, that's God correcting us inside of our lives. It's good for us. Discipline is important. God chips and forms us. If we pray, and, and Jesus, listen, if we're praying and God is, and Jesus is not lovingly, lovingly disciplining and correcting us, even in difficult, painful changes in our life, then we should stop and ask ourselves if we're really a Christian. Because it says, if we're not being disciplined, we're illegitimate. That's pretty strong. Those are strong words. And so we're not children at all. So what does that look like? We're God's masterpiece. I point this out. is uh, The original word for masterpiece is the Greek word poema. We're God's poem. He's written this. And he continues to perfect this. But it's, it's in Christ Jesus. You know, again, we come back to the biblical Christian in Christ Jesus. God is forming and shaping. If you're a follower of Christ here today, God is working in your life. In Christ, we're not junk. We're God's plan, God's purpose. And, and God has a future for us.
And part of that future is growth, maturity, being transformed into the image of Christ. We're not junk. We're God's creation. That's His promise to us. Um, Just join me in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, we thank You that, that You're God and we're not. We thank You that Your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And Lord, also in that, we, we, we turn control over to You. Do what You need to do to make us who You want us to be so that we can be Your creation in Christ Jesus. Lord, for those here today that have never made that commitment to Christ, this would be the day. And for those who are following Christ, Lord, let us look forward actually to the discipline, the corrections, the changing that will help us grow. Give us that gift of obedience. We thank you that that's your plan. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.